I'm uh, one of the pastors here. My name is Stan. And uh, my title is Spiritual Companions Pastor. And this uh, message is going to maybe explain some of what that involves. Because <clears throat> I'm uh, not really a teaching pastor. I'm not really a connections pastor. I'm not really a discipleship pastor. We have other people who do that. And so um, it's my uh, role or niche to be the spiritual companions. And uh, part of it is because I am also uh, involved in doing spiritual direction. And that sounds like a very mystical kind of term. So hopefully I'll demystify some of that too. So what I thought we could do is uh, look at, well, what my, uh, somebody mentioned, am I just going to use one word? It's, it's going to be two words, but they're kind of combined together into one. And the word we're going to look at today, last week, Koss talked about for God. And so this week, we're going to go the next two words, which are for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so we're going to look at so loved. And what I thought we could do is maybe think about, when you think about God, or when other people think about God, what do you think that they hold as what, who God is most famous for? His greatest attribute. And that, I think, is part of our message this morning. That the greatest thing that God wants to be known for is not that he's powerful, not that he's uh, the most intelligent being, Not that he can articulate the best, but that he's love. And so we're going to look at that, that in terms of what love is not. And so I thought we could look at a very familiar passage in 1 Corinthians 13. And Paul starts off by saying, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels... But do not have love. I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So what is Paul saying there? He's saying that I can be, sound so impressive, right? That I can make, uh, be so articulate. Like my uh, wife really likes meet the press. Not so much for what they say, but how articulate they are. So it's, Uh, something that people think of as being what they want to be famous for. So articulate, able to speak so well. But to God, that's not. It's it's good. God God can speak better than anybody else. But that's not what he wants to be known for because if it was just that, it would be like a clanging gong and a noisy symbol. There would be no substance. 
And then Paul goes on to say in the second verse, he says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. So what's Paul saying there? I believe that Paul is, is talking about having an intellect, being so smart that you can know everything, right? To, to have a gift of prophecy is not just to foretell the future, but to be able to analyze things in the present and be able to identify things. And even if you want to go into a non-intellectual thing, but maybe more spiritual thing, being a, a spiritual person, that you can move mountains, that you have a, have a, a vision to be able to, to do great things and bring those about. If you have all of that, but don't have love, you are nothing, Paul says. And so intellect or religious things are not what God wants to be known for. He doesn't want to be known that he's so smart. He doesn't want to be known that he's the very essence of spirit. Okay? It's not that. And then the third verse says this. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but do nothing, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So, even if you're the most charitable person on the face of the earth, even if you make great sacrifices, if you don't have love, it's nothing. Okay? And part of that is this idea that all of those previous things are, are what people want to be famous for, right? Like they, they want to be famous for being eloquent or being able to, to, to give a wonderful speech. Uh, we're going to be celebrating a man who was famous for a speech th this Monday, right? Martin Luther King. And I had a dream. Great, eloquent person. I also believe he had love. So, but, he, but if all he was famous for was eloquence without love, it's not enough. Okay? People look up to, to be, want to be known as smart and intellectual, right? They want to, they, they want to be seen as in the know and knowing everything. Or they want to be seen as this mystical kind of person who can, who can understand all these deep things that nobody else understands. But if without love, it's nothing. And a lot of people want to be famous for being charitable and uh, making sacrifices and things. And oftentimes that will, that's something we celebrate and things. But if that was all there is to being able to define a person without love, it's nothing. So what am I saying here? I'm saying that God is the ultimate 
manifestation of all these virtues. You want to know someone who can speak with eloquence? God can speak with eloquence. In fact, God doesn't even need to use words to speak. You want to know someone who is able to solve all mysteries to move mountains? God can move all mountains. God can solve all mysteries because nothing is mysterious to him. You want to see a person who sacrifices? God sacrificed more than any being ever, ever could and ever will. And God is the ultimate in being a martyr because he died. He chose to die for me and you. Despite all of those things, what he wants to be most famous for, I believe, is his love. Because at the bottom of all those things that he may have done, his motivation, I believe, was love. And that's what the verse says, right? For God so loved. He wasn't motivated because God so saw a need or God so wanted to be known and, and have people recognize just how wonderful he is. He's so loved. So what does it mean to love? And I believe there's uh, a certain thing that God wants to manifest about himself in love. And, and one of those things is in 1 John. And in 1 John 4 reads as follows. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So if you want to know God, it's to know his love. It's not to know a lot about him. It's not to know all the all kinds of doctrines and things. It's to know he is love. And so what does that mean? I think it means that we become known or identify our identity from being his beloved or the person that he loves. And, and in John, uh, the gospel that we've been looking at, he, he describes himself as the disciple Jesus loved. He doesn't refer to himself as John. He calls himself the disciple who Jesus loved. Because John knew that John was probably one of his closest friends. John was the one when he was, who was dying on the cross he put in charge of taking care of his mother. John knew Jesus really well. And what he knew of Jesus, what he, what he felt about Jesus was, I am loved by Jesus. And that is an invitation to all of us that we can experience that. So let me draw some parallels with what it means to to be love, okay? And so I uh, kind of draw this in my spiritual practice is love is like light, okay? That, that there's similarities in the nature of light and the nature of love. The first thing is that love, or light, I'm sorry, light 
is when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So I, I, that's why I equate love and light, because Jesus, I believe, did. And he went even further in Matthew. He says this, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. He wants his character, who he is, to be part of you. So you can say like John did, the disciple who Jesus loved, the person who Jesus loved. That's light. And it's a light, like this verse implies, that's not meant to just be a personal thing. It's meant to be shared in community and with one another, okay? So let's look at some of the characters of light, okay? The, the first character I wanted to look at is light reveals things, okay? It shows things. And the, the verse in that is John 1.5. It says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Light and love shine through darkness. The next thing about light, it reveals, but it also repulses. Okay? In that same chapter, John writes, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. See, sometimes light to people are like light on cockroaches. You ever shine a light on a cockroach? Because cockroaches like to be in the dark, right? But you shine a light on cockroaches and they scurry away. They want to be in the darkness. And sometimes that's the way light is and love is. That that which is revealed causes people to want to go away, to hide, to continue on. However, the other characteristic about light is you can receive it, right? Your eyes are, are light receptacles, right? When, when light comes into your eye, you're able to see things, okay? So, in John 1.12 it says, Yet to all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So what does it mean to receive? And that's kind of where uh, my, I'm going to give you not something that is uh, necessarily, uh, you're going to find steps in the Bible on, but it's kind of the framework by which I use uh, spiritual direction for people, okay? And so I call this stages in the journey because to me, the Christian life is a journey. The, the relationship with God the coming into this light is a journey, okay? And so the first stage is a stage of awareness, okay? Awareness is that first thing. It reveals, right? To me, the first stage in a Christian life is when you accept Jesus. You know, maybe you had a prayer or something, but, but oftentimes that's what is the first step that people talk about is, 
You got to accept Jesus. You got to receive him into your heart. You know, whatever, however you want to define that. But most of the time, I've heard it defined as you just pray to Jesus and admit you're a sinner, that he forgave your sins, and that you created an awareness, right? You created something that you know you need, okay? The second stage, though, is after you create that awareness and create that uh, beginning is people tell you or the church has often said you have to learn which is discipleship right you got to learn the bible you got to do do learn how to pray learn how to to do spiritual disciplines and things and so it's a it's a a lot of learning about what does all that mean okay and then after you learn oftentimes the church or the organization will ask you to serve says, well, you can't just learn. You've got to put it into action. So you've got to serve. You've got to do things. All of that is great. It's wonderful. But it's not the whole journey. Oftentimes, when you go to a church, these first three things are all they will ever talk about to you. About, about receiving Jesus. About learning more about Jesus about serving Jesus. And nothing wrong with that except it's not enough. And what I call, after you've done this a while, is oftentimes people hit what I call the wall, which when Kotz did his sermon on uh, bounded sets, okay, the wall is the bounded set, okay, that you do certain things, if you, if you have a certain awareness, if you have that certain learning, if you have a certain service, that then you're in. And that's, that's the wall that keeps. But the other thing about a wall is if you keep pushing up against it, you keep wondering, well, what's keeping me in that place? Why am I just stuck here? And so what happens is in my practice anyway, most of the people have been doing all these three things and they say, isn't there more than this? Is this all there is? Because I could, I could go to any religion or any other thing and I could do exactly the same thing. And so what makes having a relationship with Jesus any different? And I believe it's it's coming through the wall. But to come through the wall, I believe, requires community. You cannot do this by yourself. These other three things, you can come up with ways to do it by yourself, which is why other religions and things can do it, because it is about having a willpower, basically, or being setting your mind to it. But that's not the way that God wanted him, wanted you to know him. Because is that love? Is love about having someone do exactly what you say? Some people may think so. But I'm, I'm going to give you an example of why I don't think that's true. Okay? But, to, we, but the invitation is, 
we can get through the wall together with other people. And once we get past the wall, the next stage is an inward journey, which means that we start looking inside of ourselves. What are our motivations? What are the things that we have basically defined our life by rather than what God had maybe said we are or who we are? And we start to realize maybe we aren't as good as we thought we were. Maybe we don't have the willpower that we thought we did. And that's okay. And that's where community comes in and says that we all fall short. We are all fall short of the glory of God, in Romans it says. That we don't have to be a superstar. We don't have to have eloquence. We don't have to have intelligence. We don't have to be able to, to sacrifice. We don't have to have great acts of charity. We just need to be who God made us to be in, his, in the fullness of who that is. And so once we do that, the second stage is transformation. And that, this is where community is really key. Because if you try, start trying to transform by yourself, it's not going to work because it's going to be polluted by your own things and you, and you aren't going to be able to really have the full light of everyone else. Okay? And we were meant to live in community. God described himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's a community. It's one person, but it's a community. And then the last stage is what I call love. Because as we deal with who we are, we're able to see God's grace. And from that grace, we see that grace was not meant to be held onto and put in a closet. The city on the hill was not meant to be hidden, but to shine to be shared, to move into things. And that includes your own life, because maybe there's, there's things in your life that you really don't want to revisit, that, that they happened and you just want to forget about them, but you know they still there, are there, something's still there. And so part of this love is to be able to love yourself through that with God's grace and God's help. Maybe you have a, an issue with God and, you, and you've been taught, well, you know, I need to dispel those, those things and, and not think those things. I would challenge you to, to give them to God. It's not like he doesn't know, okay? There's nothing that we can think that somehow he doesn't already know we're thinking it. But his invitation is, that he will not deal with that until we're ready to deal with it. And when we're ready to, to be ready to deal with it is to be able to, to tell him, this hurts, God, or I don't understand why this happened. How is this loving? Those questions are legitimate questions. They're questions that I've asked and I continue to ask. 
There's a lot of things in this life that happen to us that we see no rhyme or reason for. But that does not mean that God's love cannot overcome it. Light overcomes darkness. Love overcomes evil. So, what does all this have to do with an application? And so I thought of three applications. First one is, what is God most famous for in your life? If, you, if someone asks you, well, what's God, God famous for in your life? Maybe it would be something like, well, he delivered me from an addiction, or he did this for me. And those are wonderful things. And like I said, they're good places to start. But they're just the start. There's something more than that. And then, what are you most famous for in life? Do you, in your relationships, emphasize being charitable? There's nothing wrong with that. But do you really love the person? Are you really loving the person when you're charitable? Those are things that you can think about for yourself. But the last one is, who can you share your answers with? Things don't become real until they're shared. I can think all kinds of things in my head. But if I never share it with anyone, nobody holds me accountable. I think God does. But what I think the way God holds me accountable is to, is to say, well, I want you to share with this person. As, as most of you know, my brother died in September, suddenly. And one of the things that his death brought about was just how much I didn't really know my brother because I'm cleaning out all his stuff and things. But the other part of that is my other brother, my surviving brother, and I have gotten closer about talking about things because that forces us to talk about things we never really felt comfortable or, well, you know, we don't want to talk about that kind of stuff. Everything's okay. We don't need to stir up these things. But there's healing in that. There's freedom in that. There's a beauty in that eventually. And so who can you share your answers with? Who do you do you need to share your answers with? I said the, the last thing was this. I believe in, uh, in the practice of the soul. There in, in physical practice, abs are the core of your physical being, right? You have to have strong abs to be, to be a strong person. So your abs in your soul are acceptance, our belonging, and our safety, our security. If those three things are not strong, your soul's not strong. It doesn't matter 
how much you try, these things will haunt you. And the thing about it is, you need community for each of these three things to be truly strong. Last thing is this idea of person or pet. You can accept the pet. You can make a pet belong. You can give a pet security. But it's still a pet to you. It's not someone that you can share ideas with. I know people who do share ideas with their pet, but they don't expect the pet to tell them yes or no, right? They just want somebody to, to hear their idea, okay? And that's the nature of a pet, right? The, the pet is there at the pleasure of the master. And a lot of times in relationships, people in relationship with another person will treat that person as a pet, which on the outside may look good. There's acceptance, there's belonging, there's security or safety, but the very core of what's going on is like that wall and say, what is, the, you know, what is all of this? Does it, is it really worth it? In a racial reconciliation, one of the things that uh, I've heard people of color say is that they may get into a position, but they're treated more as a pet than a person. That, that they, will, they will be held in great esteem as long as they are obedient to the way the organization works, which is a pet, right? You, you train your pet to behave a certain way and not just let them be who they are. And so the challenge I believe that the church faces is a lot of people see us as trying to create pets instead of persons. That's why I'm in spiritual direction. My goal is to create people, not pets. Are there good things about pets? Sure. I mean, people love pets. I'm not against animals and things. But you are not an animal. You are a person. So my invitation to you is this. Do you see yourself in your relationships more as a pet or a person? And in your relationships with other people, do you treat them more as pets or do you treat them as persons? And I'm not saying that I do this perfectly. I, I don't believe there was anyone who did this perfectly except for Jesus. And he wound up dead at the very people who he was trying to help see that they were living as a pet rather than as a person. So the invitation is this. The motivation of God is he doesn't want you to feel like you're his pet. He wants you to feel like you're his beloved person in whom he 
will never ever tell you again you're still dealing with this he will never be so be angry at you and tell you go solve it yourself he will always have a place for you to come and sit and just be with him and know that you're his beloved. Why don't we pray?